one kind of grew on me, so one's enough for today. We're going to be talking about, because this one comes up all the time, are tattoos sinful? The actual, I decided the way I was going to name it for the sake of uh, having fun. I like to have fun when I name sermons, so it's called Tats and Salvation. Are tattoos sinful? One of this is actually comes, and it's a, it's a surprising thing to me because if anybody actually reads through the Bible, it should be something that not a lot of people deal with because it's an action. So let's say a tattoo is sinful. Well, you got it one time. Now it's with you forever. I mean, it's the same way. Like, is drinking and driving sinful? Yeah. And if you get in an accident and maim yourself, then you're living with that for the rest of your life. It's not sinful for the rest of your life because you got maimed from the... It was one-time occurrence that affects you for a lifetime. Tattoos are the same way. They're one-time occurrence, and they're on you for... I guess you can get them removed now, but they're on you. So even if it were sinful, it's a one-time thing, and it's that's it. It would be the act. But I'm going to telegraph it, they're actually not. And the reason why is because of the intention behind it. One of the things that we have to understand when we look at the Bible is that when God gives us anything that he tells us to do, it's all about our intention. The story of the Old Testament is basically God saying, do what I'm telling you to do, do the right thing, use your conscience, do the right thing, don't be idolatrous. Don't put yourself above me. You know, trust me to provide for you. And it's people saying, no, I think I'll do my own thing. And it turning out badly. That's basically the entire Old Testament. It happens over and over and over again. The book of Judges is one of those books that I love it, but at the same time, it's so repetitive because it just keeps happening. It happens 12 times in one book. Something happens. Things get great. People get pious and high and mighty, and they think they're too good. They fall into sin. God sends a judge. They judge them. Things get good again. Start the cycle over again. And that's how we basically live our lives. We live in a cycle where we do things, we suffer the repercussions of it, and then we move on. Things get good, and then for some reason we decide we know better than God, and we're going to fall back into our old ways or find a new thing to fall into. But the issue with the tattoos is really, it's one of the worst aspects of the modern church or Christianity as a whole, I guess, because it's the church and the Christians have turned into reactionary animals. Paul told us to be trendsetters. He said we're to live in the world, but not be of the world. We're to be in it, but different. We're just supposed to live how we live. He didn't tell them to go and scream and yell and tell the, the, the Romans or the Greeks or whoever they were living with, you're sinful, you're going to hell. He said, live a good life. Do the best you can, and by your example, they'll want to know what you have that they don't have. So he told them, be trendsetters. Be, be you. Be the best version of you that you can be, but be you. Don't worry about what the rest of the world is doing. Be you. You got the Holy Spirit, use it. Help it, it'll convict you. Try to do the right thing. If you fall, repent, be sorry for it, ask God forgiveness, be open, and move on. The issue is, is that we 
that Christianity kind of became the dominant culture. And so what happens when something becomes dominant? It wants to protect its dominance. So we became, and I say we because I'm guilty of it too, we became reactionary. We sit on top of the mountain and we wait for somebody to try and climb up. When they climb up, we smack them back down. That's what we're doing. We're reacting to the culture around us. When we were never called to react to the culture around us, we were called to react to God and do what's right because what's right. We're not called to react to the culture. Well, this reaction means that when, I guess it was the early 1900s when tattoos started becoming popular, all of a sudden it's, well, that's of the world. That means it's, it's sinful. It's, it, it's, it's, it does it with everything. You can go through every single list, piercings, whatever it is. That's a culture thing. Culture's evil. We're Christians. We don't like the culture. It's wrong. And it's, the problem is, again, tattoos are one of those weird things that you're stuck with them. So even if it was sinful at the time, sure, it's a, it's a, it is a reminder of a sin, it would be a minor a reminder of a sinful event, but it would not be continually sinful. It would not be continually sinful. One also another issue is, is that study Bibles. Study Bibles have ruined a lot of great, otherwise great <laughs> Christians and great preachers. Because the study Bible allows you to do what's called proof texting. That's where somebody says, oh, I think this. And they say, where do you get that from? And they just throw out a scripture. And this one, uh, you know, it's just a sentence from something. Well, Peter says, no scripture is of, of a private interpretation. That does not mean that you read the scripture, and if you see it a little different than somebody else, you're wrong. It means no one scripture is saying something that you can't back up with scripture somewhere else. All scripture is mirrored somewhere. If it's in one place, it's in another place. Everything in the New Testament is talked about in the Old Testament in some way or another. It may not be as specific. Paul might be turning a phrase or using it in a specific way, but it's talked about over and over again. I mean, there's close to a thousand direct quotes of the Old Testament in the New Testament. So we know that you, if you're just, if all you can find is one scripture and it kind of, sort of, says what you're saying it says, then yeah, you probably need to look out for that. I would, rec I would recommend too, if you are reading the Bible and you come up with a reading and literally you can find nobody who's ever thought of that before, you, you might want to consider that you might be in error just because the Bible's been around a long time. If nobody ever has thought about it, you might have just read it wrong. So that is, I will warn. I'm not just saying, because I'll say once that people say, well, are the majority wrong? That's when I have a friend who, he always, majority rules. He says, is the majority wrong? And I told him, yeah, most of the time. <laughs> Honestly, most of the time. Go through back, back throughout history. Anything that we today sit here and say that's wrong, the majority probably said it was right at one time. That's just the way it works. So, what we're dealing with here is a situation where proof texting is going to get in the way because people are just going to say a sentence. So because of that, I'm going to go away from my traditional in one chapter, and we're going to hit a couple different verses. We're going to start in Leviticus 19. Leviticus 19 is the first place that people want to go because it's one of the more specific ones. Now, 
It actually happens later in the chapter, but I'm going to read it just because the most important thing is always context. Context, it's Latin for with text. <laughs> so what's around it? Read the, read the verses before, read the verses after. So in 19, we're going to start in one. I'm just going to do four, chapter, four verses real quick. And it says, 19 verse 1, Leviticus. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto all the congregation of the children of Israel, and say unto them, Ye shall be holy, for I am, for I the Lord your God am holy. Ye shall fear every man, his mother and his father, and keep my Sabbaths. I am the Lord your God. Turn ye not unto idols, nor make to yourselves molten gods. I am the Lord your God. The reason why I read that is because this entire chapter is about not doing idolatry and not performing pagan practices and claiming you're worshiping God. And when they say that, they're not saying like a Christmas tree. He's saying, don't put your children, because they go through it. Don't, put, don't sacrifice children and claim you're doing it for God, because that's not me. Don't kill each other and claim you're doing it for God, because that's not God. Don't, he's saying all these other things they do. That's the reason why if you go, so you go through, and he basically just starts listing off a bunch of things they do and a bunch of things that have happened. That, that, everything from mixing seeds and mixing clothes, they, that's, they're listing all these random things out. This is what God does. And so we're going to jump to the 19th verse, and we're going to read this. I want to see what it says. And it says, starting in the 19th verse, the 19th chapter, and it says, <clears throat> Ye shall keep my statutes. Thou shalt not let thy cattle gender with a diverse kind. Thou shalt not sow thy field with mingled seed. Thy shall, the neither shall a garment mingled with linen and woolen come upon thee. And whosoever lieth carnally with a woman, that is, a bondmaid, betrothed to a husband, and not, uh, and not at all redeemed, nor freedom given her, she shall be scourged, they shall not be put to death, because she was not free. And he shall bring his trespass unto the Lord, offering unto the Lord, under the door of the tabernacle of the congregation, even a ram for a trespass offering. And the priest shall make an atonement for him with the ram of the trespass offering before the Lord for his sin which he hath done, and the sin which hath done shall be forgiven." And all, and when, and, the, and this is important, and when ye shall come into the land, and shall have planted all manner of trees for food, then ye shall count the fruit thereof as uncircumcised. Three years shall be uncircumcised unto you, it shall not be eaten of. But in the fourth year, all the fruit thereof shall be holy to praise the Lord withal. And in the fifth year shall ye eat of the fruit thereof, that it may yield unto you the increase thereof, I am the Lord your God. So again, if you notice, he's saying, when you come into the land, when you come into the land, when you come into the land, that's what he keeps saying here. He's telling them what to do when they're in Canaan. He's saying, when you go into the Can Canaanite land, this is how you live. This is how you be separate. This is how you be different than them. And he's giving all these examples of things they do and saying, just do the opposite. Don't be like them. Be different. So starting in 26, it says, You shall not eat anything with the blood, neither shall you use enchantment, nor observe times. Ye shall not round the corners of your heads, 
neither shalt thou mar the corners of thy beard. For ye shall, ye shall not make any cuttings in your flesh for the dead. Nor print any marks upon you. I am the Lord. We see, again, these are pagan practices. So he's saying, as they do, do not cut yourself for the dead. These were practices that were common in that era. That not just mourning, but the people would cut themselves and like slice the insides of their mouth so that they bled, like blood dripped out of their mouths and stuff. Like crazy things that they would do that they that would in, in worship, and primarily the cutting was primarily Baal worship. But they would do this all kinds of things. They believed that some of them would believe that you could essentially like a purgatory, you could get your, your relatives out of out of hell if you scourged yourself, if you paid their punishment. So people would scourge themselves and cut themselves. Now, I brought this up before, and the first time I, immediately when I brought it up, the person said, you just made that up because you wanted to sound good. So let's everybody, because scriptures of no private interpretation, let's jump to 1 Kings 18 real quick. First Kings 18. In the 28th verse. This is, this is the telling of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. This is where Elijah was basically by himself. And, yeah, 1 Kings 18. And God had told Elijah, be strong, go to them and tell them that I'm the Lord, I'm your God, I'm going to do this, I'm going to take care of this. And so what's God, So what does he do? Elijah doesn't just believe in God. He makes it even harder. He says, you know, bring them around, and you're not allowed to just light the fire to your God. You have to put wood down, you have to put the bull on the wood, and you have to pray to God, and he'll start the fire for you if your God's real. And so the prophets did. They set it down. They, they started praying. They started doing this. Hours and hours they, they, they do it. Elijah was sitting there mocking them. He was telling them, maybe, maybe your God's gone to the bathroom, and so he just can't be disturbed right now. Maybe that's why he doesn't hear you. All these different things. He say, maybe he's sleeping. Maybe he went off for a little trip. In the 28th verse, 18, 28th verse, he says, And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their manner with knives and lancets till the blood gushed out upon them. So we see what it is. They after their manner. It would not say after their manner if that was not a custom. If that was not commonplace. That is Baal worship. Cutting yourself for the dead. Cutting yourself for the God. God doesn't ask us to cut ourselves for him. God doesn't ask us to maim and mar ourselves for these. We might do something that we might end up maimed. But God's not asking us to do this. God, a matter of fact, God, a matter as a matter of fact, is telling us not to do these things. God is saying, be different than that. Do this now. If when you, if somebody has a tattoo in here, when you got that tattoo, did you think to yourself, by getting this tattoo, my aunt Sally is going to get out of hell and go to heaven? No. No. Did you think to yourself, maybe you were cutter, people? the pain from cutting can make the pain from past memories and stuff feel a little bit less. 
Maybe someone's a cutter. Maybe someone was a cutter. When you cut yourself to let the pain go, is that wrong? Yeah, you shouldn't mark yourself. You shouldn't scar yourself. You shouldn't purposely hurt yourself in this way. But when they're doing it, do you really think they're saying, if I do this, Baal, the god of the Philistines, will give, have honor upon me and will care more for me? No. No. That's not the intention. They're not starting a sacrifice. They're not loading wood up and, and doing this and cutting themselves so that God will hear their prayers. That's not what they're doing. It is the intention. The reason why Christ, when he says about, about says, you know, the, the, in the Old Testament, it says it's written that you shouldn't commit adultery. I'm telling you, if you look at a woman, you're committing adultery because it starts in the mind. If it's in the mind and you think it and you don't kick that thought out, eventually it becomes a habitual thought and you will eventually do the thing. The mind is where this takes place. The mind is what starts the sin. It starts as a sin in your head and then it works out to your actions. That's how it works, which is the reason why Christ is warning people. Listen, just entertaining the thoughts is dangerous because it's, it, if you entertain them long enough, you will eventually commit the very sin, the very act that you're, you're thinking about. It will happen. And especially because you will sear your conscience over a period of time. First time you think about it, it might seem, oh, that's disgusting. Think about it a little more. Think about it a little more. Think about it a little more. Now all of a sudden it seems like something, oh, my wife would do that. After a little while, it's something you can't go a day without thinking about. You sear your conscience. And therefore, the theater of the mind the battleground of the mind, is real. And so it's your intention. If you intend to give God worship, God will receive your worship. If you intend, now, again, he says specifically, now, he also, again, said, when you go into the land, because this is what's referred to as a conditional promise. The book of Leviticus has conditional promises. And he almost always, pretty much every time there's a conditional promise, promise, immediately before, he will say, when you go into the land. Or, as you're sojourning, which means when they were camping out in the wilderness, do this. Well, the stuff that they, as they were camping, as soon as they went into the land, they didn't have to do that anymore. Because they're not camping out in the wilderness anymore. Well, he told them, do these things when you go in the land, and you'll be prosperous, or else I'm going to kick you out of the land. Well, guess what happened? He ended up kicking them out of the land. And that's why when Jeremiah and Ezekiel talk about them coming back, they say they're not going to come back and do, they're not going to follow the laws. When they come back, they're not going to do what God said. And they didn't. By the time Christ comes around, by the time Paul comes around, the, the Jewish religion bared no resemblance to what God was setting up. So these, these conditional promises already were broken. That's the reason why when somebody says, well, we don't follow the Old Testament. Well, we follow everything that God says to do with the exception of the things we can't do. So therefore, if we're not encamped in a temporary camp in Sinai, we don't follow the camp internment things from Sinai. If we're not the original Hebrews living in the land with a temple, we don't follow the things of people living in the land of Israel with a temple. It's just the way it works. So if it says here, when you're in the land, you do this, well, we're not in the land. We're, we're past that. Even the people living in the land today don't. They still couldn't do it if they wanted to. They can't. Why? Because God has judged them 
for not keeping the conditions behind these promises. So, God doesn't just change his mind every so often. There's a reason for it. There's a purpose for it. There's, he usually says, you do this and this good thing will happen, but if you don't, you're going to bring destruction on yourself. And more times than not, we bring destruction on ourselves for something. But if we do hold to his promises, good things will happen. Good things will happen. However, again, by just looking at the verse and reading it in context, we see that's not, it had nothing to do with the markings. It had everything to do with the intention of the person doing it. Real quickly, we're just going to skip a couple pages forward and just go to Leviticus 20, 21. Leviticus 21. This is another one that people will bring out because it'll talk because it'll say about marking yourself. So Leviticus 21, it says in the first starting in the first verse, and it says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Speak unto the priests, the sons of Aaron, and say unto them, There shall none be defiled of the dead among his people. Defiled actually means to like carry or pick up dead people. But for his kin, that is near unto him, that is for his mother and for his father and his, for his son and for his daughter and for his brother and for his sister, a virgin that is nigh unto him, which has no husband, for her he may be defiled, meaning he may pick up the corpse. So God's already making a provision saying, okay, you're a priest, you're not supposed to be touching dead bodies, but if it's your family members, you can do it. And like that, if it's a sister who doesn't have a husband to, to, to handle it, you can handle it. So God's being reasonable here. But right away, we can already see what's going to be the issue. You know why this doesn't apply? This one doesn't even apply. We don't even have to read it. Because, yeah, I will read it, but because it says, and, God, and, and the Lord said unto Moses, Speak unto the priests, the sons of Aaron. None of us are priests. None of us are Kohanim. Of, from the Levitical order. So it doesn't count. <laughs> it doesn't count. We're not priests. This is specifically, that's why he says, speak unto the, the sons of Aaron and tell them this. Why? Because he wanted them to be holy and set aside. They're going to be handling animals. You don't want people touching dead bodies and then going in and touching animals and then going home at the end of the day. You're going to be spreading diseases and blood and all kinds of stuff around. So he tells them, be separate, be different. Just so that you see that he's talking to priests. We're going to start in the fifth verse and it says, They shall not make baldness upon their head, neither shall they shave the corner of their beard, nor make any cuttings in their flesh. Again, he's talking about the priests. And this is another, and I'm not going to go to it because I don't want to spend the time on it, but also in the Bible, it talks about the fact that there were pagans would go about, and when, some, when they would be doing their priestly things, they would shave their heads. like, And we've probably seen it in movies and stuff, actually. It looks very much like what the Asians will do, where they'll shave all their head and leave the spot in the center that's real long, and they'll braid it and stuff. Very common practice there. That's not unique to one culture. That's been all over the place. And again, these are different cultures, because some you had Philistines. They're different groups doing different things. Some of them, when somebody would die, they would shave every hair on their body for mourning. Shave their eyebrows everything and so god's telling them on there don't shave don't and and for the priest he's saying just 
to make it easy for you. Just let your beard grow. Just let it grow. While you're being a priest, just let it grow. Now, if we continue reading, it says, he actually tells them, they're here and in numbers, and it's interesting because I never, as a pastor friend pointed out to me, the first time I realized it, he tells them you're only allowed to be priest from the age of 25 to 50. And then from then on you retire. And you have retirement from 50 till whenever. So even that, you say, well, God told them they're not allowed to shave, they're not allowed to cut their hair and stuff. Yeah, just for the 25 years that they're a priest and then they retire and they can do whatever they want. They're a normal citizen now. So again, God's still making a provision for them. He's still giving them. He's not saying for the rest of your life you're never allowed to. He's saying for this 25 years while you're working in my service, you need to set yourself apart from this. You need to do this thing. So, again, we, we see this is talking about the priest. Doesn't even apply to us. Doesn't even apply. We don't even have to worry about it. The other one and the last one we're going to look at is Deuteronomy 14. So a few more pages. Over, just keep on flipping. You'll see numbers. And eventually you'll go to Deuteronomy. And Deuteronomy, the thing about this is, is the, the one of the things people don't, a lot of times people get stuck on is chapter marks. Remember the chapter marks and the verses in your Bible are not inspired. That was actually included in there by people because they wanted to make it easier for us to reference. When this was written, they were not written with chapters and they were not written with verses. The chapters were added around the 10th century, 12th century, somewhere between there. And the verses were added when the Geneva Bible was being written in the 1540s. They added verses. And basically, it's, it's a scholarly thing. Because when you read, in a, when a scholar goes through an ancient text, they number each line. And so that's where we get our verses from, is they number each line, and then they try to give each thought, basic thought, its own chapters. So the verses and the chapters are not inspired. The words are inspired. The verses and the chapters aren't. And one of the reasons why you can tell this is that this part of Deuteronomy, it's one continuous part from the 12th verse all the way through the end. It's one big sermon that Moses is giving. And he keeps saying, and he keeps going. And the reason why you can tell this is because in the 14th, we start just a few verses earlier, it all continues in one big thing. But the reason why I point that out is because, again, even in the 12th, and it says, when you go into the land of Canaan, which I will give you. That's how he starts this sermon. 12th chapter, first verse says, These are the statutes and judgments which ye shall observe to do in the land which the Lord God of thy fathers has given thee to possess it all the days that ye live upon the earth. So he's telling these pe group of people here, okay, when you go into the land for the rest of your life, and the reason why he says it specifically, and you know he's talking about these people, it's because he's talking about them specifically. Because he's telling them things. When you conquer these cities, don't take their possessions. Just throw them in the street and burn it. We don't even want their stuff. Don't keep their stuff. That, that was used to worship pagan gods. We don't want it. Just burn it. Get rid of it. So that's how we know he's saying. Because he's saying, when you take over a city, don't keep their stuff. Burn it. Well, he's not telling. We're not, walk, we're not about ready to you know, march on Cleveland and overtake Cleveland. So it's not a concern of ours whether or not we take all the stuff out of the buildings and burn it or not. So we see that he's talking to a very specific people in a very specific time. And even that, he's referring again to living in the Holy Land. So in the 14th chapter where it says that in the first verse, starting it says, Ye are the children of the Lord your God. You shall not cut yourselves nor make any baldness between your eyes for the dead. 
For thou art an holy people unto the Lord thy God, and the Lord has chosen thee to be a peculiar people unto himself above all the nations that are upon the earth. He's saying, when you go in there, don't do what the people around you are doing. When you take over these lands and take over these towns, don't continue their practices. Don't continue shaving your eyebrows off and doing the stuff for the dead like they do. Don't continue doing these things. And again, we saw with the Baal worshippers, they cut themselves. They pierced themselves. They took knives and stabbed themselves with it and their chests and stuff. So we see that, again, most of these are conditional to the time. But even that first one, Leviticus 19, where it's talking about this, he's talking about pagan practice. As long as your intention is not to worship some pagan god, or you think you're getting your family out of purgatory or something for this, there's nothing sinful about it. Maybe you were in a sinful state, you were drinking and doing whatever and getting high, and you decide, oh, good a tattoo. You probably need to repent of that entire night. That you end up getting that tattoo but you that's that's a situation that between you and god that you need to deal with now you're stuck with that tattoo it is what it is it, it is what it is god does not expect us to be perfect people people have pasts people are going to continue to do things wrong in the future and again he's telling the people observe these laws in your land if you don't i'm kicking you out what did he do? He kicked them out. Did exactly what he said he would. He kicked them out. And then what happened? When they came back, they didn't observe. So in which Jeremiah and Ezekiel said they wouldn't. So what's Jeremiah said? And I will create a new covenant. A covenant in my own blood where I will be the one who, who established the covenant. And he did. Christ came down. He lived, died, resurrected. We are under the new covenant in his blood. Because they could not fulfill these laws. So God fulfilled them for them. And then accounts that to us. So even if getting a tattoo were sinful, it's covered by the blood of Christ. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter at this point. We are not to be reactionary to the things around us. People will do things just to get you upset. If anything's around there, if you've been in a, especially like a factory or industrial setting, people, if they know you're a Christian, they'll do things just to get you going. Just because they know you're going to be reaction. Because you, you react in the flesh, not in the spirit, and you hurt your testimony by being reactionary. God wants us to live in the spirit. God wants us to have calmness in the spirit. God wants us to use the Holy Spirit as our guide. And just because I want to point this out, that I'm going to prove, using again the Bible here, God is not just some vengeful monster. God gave the Jews a lot of second chances. He's not just some vengeful monster. That's what people, oh, the God of the Bible is just so vengeful, and he's just so, he's just a monster. We're going to go to Deuteronomy 19. Just a few more pages over. Deuteronomy 19. Deuteronomy 19, starting in the first verse, it says, when the Lord thy God hath cut off the nation whose land the Lord thy God giveth thee, and thou succeedest them, and dwell in their cities and in their houses. So again, he's talking about when you're in the land. This is what this is what to do. Three. Thou shalt separate three cities 
for thee in the midst of thy land, which the Lord has given thee to possess it. Thou shalt prepare thee a way and divide the coasts of the land, which the Lord thy God gives thee to inherit into three parts, that every slayer may, thee hither, may flee hither. Now, he's telling, take three cities and pave a highway, basically, a road between these cities and throughout the country. Split the country in three parts and pave roads so it's easy to get to these cities. Four says, and this is the case of the slayer, meaning somebody who, this is manslaughter, not a, not a murderer, but a manslaughter, unintentional, which shall flee thither that he may live. Whoso killeth his neighbor ignorantly, whom he hateth not in time past. And when a man goes into the wood with his neighbor, so here God's going to say, God's giving a sanctuary city. God's giving, setting up sanctuary cities so that if somebody commits a crime and it wasn't on purpose, they can flee to that city. As long as they're in that city, you cannot take vengeance on them. They are safe until it goes through a, a proper court system, basically. But this is, so God is giving us, he even gives you an example here, starting in the fifth verse, he gives you an example of somebody that's going to be safe in the city. Five, and when a man goes into the woods with his neighbor to hew wood, cut down wood, and his hand fetches a stroke with his axe to cut down the tree, and the head slips from the helve, and lights upon his neighbor, lands upon him, that he die, he shall flee unto one of those cities and live lest the avenger of the blood pursue the slayer while his heart is hot and overtake him because the way is long and slay him. Whereas, whereas he was not worthy of death inasmuch as he hated him not in time past. Wherefore I commend thee saying, thou shalt separate three cities for thee. And if the Lord thy God enlarge thy coast as he hath sworn to thy fathers that thee all that give thee all the land which he promised to give unto thy fathers. If thou shalt keep all the commandments to do them, which I command thee this day, to love thy, the Lord thy God, and to walk ever in his ways, then thou shalt add three more cities, more for thee, besides these three. That innocent blood be not shed in the land which the Lord thy God gives thee for an inheritance, and so blood be upon thee. He's saying if if somebody kills somebody and they did it, the person can flee to these cities. And he says, pave a road so it's easy for them to get there. That way, there's time to go through a proper investigation and make sure whether or not he needs to be. He's it's a sanctuary city for somebody who's committed manslaughter, killed somebody, didn't do it out of hate or something, just happened to do it. And he's saying, if you can make it to the city, you're safe. We're going to continue on just a little more to see, because he talks about Because, But if any man, in the 11th verse, but if any man hate his neighbor and lie in wait, which means premeditation, and rise up against him and smite him mortally that he die and flees into one of these cities, then the elders of his city shall send and fetch him thence and deliver him unto the hand of the avenger of blood that he may die. Thine eyes shall not pity him, but thou shalt put away the guilt of innocent blood from Israel, that it may go well with thee. God is a good God. He makes provision for us all. 
even so much as to God was worried that if somebody accidentally killed somebody and committed manslaughter, he didn't want that person to get a punishment that was worthy of an execution as somebody who did it vengefully or angrily. And so he literally set up and told him before time, not after, said before, when you go in there, set these sanctuary cities, that that that, that person who committed the manslaughter is not worthy of death. So we don't want innocent blood being shed. And he says, and then of course he gives a provisional. He says, if you do what I'm telling you and you live the way, I'll enlarge your coast and you can add three more cities. So they'd have six. Well, guess what? They never did what he said, so he never enlarged their coasts and they never had six. So they didn't follow. But he set the provision in place. God is a good God. He makes provision. And what have we seen? That if we maim or we cut ourselves and we mark ourselves for the dead, we mark ourselves in celebration of other gods. God's not okay with that. But God is a good God of love, of, of forgiveness. And everything is under the blood now. Even if it was a sin at one time, it's now been covered. We can go about freely knowing that God makes provision for us. That he does for us what we can't do. And therefore, it is not for us to say, oh, well, this thing in the culture is bad. and we're so If it's bad, you'll know it. And if your people who do it, they will have, they'll get the recompense of what they're doing. We don't have to tell people that being promiscuous is, is, is a bad thing. Why? Because women end up being single mothers and difficult. Why? That's, that's not a good thing. That's tough. That's difficult. They're bringing on themselves. Everything that's bad, we can tell because there's a negative result from it. And even if you don't always see the negative result, there's a possible negative result from it. So we don't have to explain. We don't have to sit on the street corner and yell, you're going to hell because you have tattoos. We can be comfortable in knowing that we have a God who makes provision. That even if something was done in sin, he forgives, he allows and so we can live in grace, and we can extend grace. We don't have to worry about, is it sinful or isn't it sinful? Is it covered under the blood? Yes, it is. Amen. Let's fellowship. That's what we are here to do, fellowship, an extended family. And that's what we're supposed to be doing out there. Extend a hand. The person might be, I personally am not a fan of tattoos, honestly. I... I've seen some that were pretty and looked nice and stuff, but I've seen some that not so much. And I'm not a fan. But you know what? God didn't ask me. He didn't ask me what my opinion was. He said, do what I'm telling you. And what did he say? Do good to people. Enlarge the kingdom. He'll handle it. It's not, I don't have to handle it. He'll handle it. And may we all continue. To, 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 if, if somebody says, you can't do that because God... Is the Holy Spirit convicting you? Then don't do it. If you and God are okay with it, do it. If it's a negative reaction, guess what? You did something that you wanted to do and God didn't. But it is not for us to react to society. It is for us to live a life that makes the people around us go, what is different? Even through all the negative or bad, or maybe you have cancer or whatever you got, people go, man, what have they got that's different? 
and your life is to be the testimony. Don't mar your testimony with squabbling and, and useless complaining and problems that will do nothing for the kingdom. Let your life be the testimony unto itself. You don't have to proclaim how good you are. Just do the best you can. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for this day and for this time. Thank you for the people who have come together. May you watch out for them as we go out into this world is that uh, everybody will be safe and that we will continue to fellowship in in you through the Holy Spirit no matter where we are knowing that you live within us and we have a comforter that in the darkest of times you're with us thank you God for providing provision for us you are a good God you're a giver of good things and may you watch these people and may you watch out for this world that we can get just a few more lives for you. That's for all these things in your holy and precious name, Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.